What's up, guys? This is Jacques. Welcome back to Unpopular. This is the first of two episodes this week because I just had so much content that you're getting a bit of a double whammy. We have this episode, which is like a regular one, and then a special separate episode. So let me explain. Uh, For this one, this is just kind of like my usual episode. Uh, I'm talking some hot topics. I actually got to talk about a lot of things that I am uh, really passionate about this episode, so that was good. Um, Warning, gets a little bit political because I get into some of the Real Housewives of New York stuff with Heather and Leah. If you can't handle political opinions in the pop culture podcast, I'm not being condescending, I'm actually being serious, because sometimes I hate putting on these pop culture podcasts and then you hear political stuff and you're just like, can you just shut the fuck up, please? You don't know what you're talking about. So I get it. So you can skip that half of the, you know, I guess it's the second half of this episode. As always, the uh, timestamps are in the show notes, so you can get uh, get them there and figure out which bits you want to listen to. But it was a fun rant, and I really had to set the record straight on a few things regarding Leah and Heather and Karens and voter shaming, and then I touched on some of the Ebony and Luann stuff, but that's not all I'm talking about because I got into... There was some juicy stuff with a few journalists. I'm going to cover that in a second. Uh, I did some Bachelor stuff. So this is kind of like a regular episode. And then I have another episode where I brought my friend Cho on and we just broke down the whole Frenemies drama with Trisha Paytas. And let me tell you, I've been wanting to talk about Trisha Paytas for a long time because she's been very popular on the Frenemies podcast. And I'm really good at clocking people that are just full of shit. You guys, I just know it, okay? I can sniff it out. Like my last episode, you know, I had Zach on and we talked about Bethany and we're like, something's up with Bethany. Well, like two days after that episode dropped, she parted ways with Mark Burnett and the production company and things are getting even fishier and fishier by the day. So I know you guys don't believe me a lot of the time, but you need to start listening to me because... I'm just always proven right in the end. I'm sorry, that's just the truth. So me and Cho broke down the whole frenemies thing. And I, like I said, I've been really wanting to talk about Trisha and I was bringing people on the podcast and I'd be like, so Trisha paid us. And they would like, didn't wait. They weren't really like across her. They didn't really get it. Um, You know, I talked about it with a couple of people and it just fell flat because they didn't really get what I was talking about. So I would like cut those out of interviews. So finally, I've been able to get into this. And I wasn't sure if any of you guys would care, honestly, because, you know, a lot of my listeners are more in the reality TV world, where obviously like Trisha Paytas and the Frenemies podcast, that is more of a YouTube world, very different kind of audiences. And I was like, I don't know if anyone that's listening to me is really across Frenemies and Trisha Paytas, but I went on my Instagram story at UnpopularJP if you want to follow me. And I said, guys, do you want me to get into Trisha? And I got a lot of responses, more than I was expecting, honestly, going, we don't know anything about Trisha or Frenemies, but we want to know, we want to understand this. You know, I'm seeing it in the headlines, but I don't get it. So me and my friend Cho, who is awesome, we broke down the Frenemies thing from kind of like who Trisha is, how she got famous, her rise on YouTube. Then we talked about the H3 podcast, which is the podcast that she joined to do Frenemies. Then we talked about why the, you know, the relationship broke down between herself and Ethan and the money involved and the whole money situation of it and why Trisha is manipulative and a liar. And we brought out some of those receipts. So that was fun. So that's just literally a whole episode about Frenemies and Trisha. And this is the regular episode. So 
Let's just get into it, shall we? Uh, so first of all, and I actually think this is the the juiciest thing of the week by far, is that two very, very famous influential journalists got exposed, and we love to see it because I knew that these two were fucking crooks for a long time. I fucking knew it. And then when this came out, I was like, I am not surprised. So, you know, I love being right. The first is Yasha Ali. If you are on Twitter, you probably know who he is already. He has almost 800,000 followers. He covers politics and pop culture. He has done a lot of really great work. Like he's dropped bombshells on everything from Scientology and Sharon Osbourne being problematic. Yes, he was behind that whole Sharon Osbourne expose recently. Uh, He's also outed people for sexual harassment at Fox News. He does a lot of kind of juicy stories like that. And He's very influential. I followed him for years. We even actually had a um, friendly exchange a couple of years ago because some contributor or reporter from the Daily Wire was being really homophobic towards him. He's gay. And uh, I defended him, and I think he followed me back. So I've been familiar with him for a while. And LA Magazine dropped the most amazing profile on Yasha that, in a nutshell, painted him out to be an opportunistic grifter who schmoozed his way into all these power centers like democratic politics and Hollywood. They liken him to the talented Mr. Ripley, if anyone's seen that movie or read the book. And I mean, it's you read this article, it's pretty fucking accurate. Like, this guy is friends with everybody that you could imagine, from, like, the president of CNN to Piers Morgan, Jake Tapper, Meghan McCain, Chrissy Teigen, the Getty heiress, uh, Gavin Newsom, the Clintons. I mean, everyone that has a bit of power in, like, liberal elite media, this guy is around. Well, and conservative media too, I guess. Piers Morgan. Like, anyone who's anyone, I guess. Anyone who's got a bit of power, Yasha Ali is, like, around them. Uh, When Kathy Griffin had her whole Trump scandal with the bloody mask when she was desperate for attention and it backfired, he swooped in and helped manage her career, and then he started living at her Bel Air mansion for nine months, and according to this article, he would just mooch off of all of these influential people and borrow money from them and then move on to the next one. Uh, A lot of them were scared of him because of his connections and all of the power that he wields, like, in the media. I mean, his Twitter feed is... You don't want to get on Yasha's Twitter feed. Once, one time, I responded to one of his tweets and I said something really, like, innocuous about how I don't like Rachel Maddow. And the fucking reply... I couldn't... I didn't know it was controversial to not like Rachel Maddow. Like to not like American cable news journalists. It you know <laughs> that, that was just me replying to one of his tweets. So I can imagine if he called you out about something, like you're getting destroyed across social media. Like he has a lot of power. So a lot of people are definitely were really scared of him and you know his journalism also seems to be connected to his personal life instead of like just objective reporting. Like he did this glowing interview on Kathy Griffin to rehab her image after the Trump mask. And then we find out now, hang on, they were friends and literally living together. He also doesn't let people film or photograph him ever. So no one's really seen what he looks like in years. And his Twitter avatar is a heavily airbrushed catfish photo of him where he looks like this really hot, hunky 30-year-old instead of a balding, pudgy 40-something, which is what he is. You've got to read it for yourself. I'm going to put the link in the show notes. But 
like I said, nothing in this article surprised me really. Like it was just a good read, but I was not shocked by any of it because I just fucking knew something was up with him. I feel like I do have a good read on people and especially over like the past year in particular, I really noticed that his tweets were becoming really narcissistic and kind of like sycophantic. Like I remember seeing him all over Chrissy Teigen defending her one time. He was also a bit of a shit lib, to be honest. And his work did seem aimed at taking people down over very petty stuff. Like, some of it was, like, fine. Like, I got it. Like, I actually think I cited his work when I talked about Sharon Osbourne. I said that I, you know, wasn't on Sharon's side and I believed everything he said. Although, after reading this profile, now I'm actually not so sure how much of Yasha's sources hold up. So, that's a whole nother situation. Um He was responsible for getting Alison Roman cancelled. She was that celebrity chef that was called racist because she criticised Chrissy Teigen's cooking line. And what do you know? Yasha and Chrissy are best friends in real life. So now I'm like questioning, to be honest, like everything that he's put out there because I'm seeing that there was an agenda and it was kind of probably tied into him uh, trying to get favour with these, you know, rich celebrities and everything who were like, clearly, he doesn't have like an address, I don't think. Like he literally just stays with famous people and couch surfs in mansions. Uh, I also noticed that about a week before the article dropped, Yasha was tweeting constantly about his mental health and being suicidal. Like I saw it in my timeline because I follow him and I remember thinking like, this is a bit of tension seeking. You know, I've never really been about the whole, I don't know, putting super personal stuff out there on social media like that. I always find it kind of cringe and I was like, why is he doing this? But then I also thought, oh, maybe he doesn't have, you know, anybody in his life. Maybe all he has is his Twitter following. So I kind of was like, okay, I kind of get it. But now I'm like, well, he actually has heaps of friends from this. Like, he's friends with everybody. So he definitely has a support system. And I'm thinking that, like, he must have been doing this on purpose because of this article. Like, either to distract from the article coming out or to pull the mental health card if anyone criticized him because it does not paint him in the best light. And, you know, people are constantly weaponizing their mental health these days, including Trisha Paytas, which I will get to. Uh, the other journalist that was exposed is Taylor Lorenz of the New York Times. Times. I hate Taylor Lorenz. I have for years. I knew she was a fucking psycho and a fame whore and that she was cancelling people to advance her own career. And I've watched the trajectory of her career as she's climbed up the ladder and how she's done it. So I've had Taylor's number from literally the second that I saw her. And the fact that someone has come out now and done a in-depth 70-minute video just destroying her is was like music to my ears. I sat in my bed and like watched the whole thing in one go because I couldn't believe it. Um, if you don't know who she is, right, she's a tech reporter for the New York Times. Most of her work is on like TikTok and influencer culture. She specifically exposes like problematic influences for old tweets and stuff like that. Like some of her s- stories are so fucking stupid. Like one of the first big ones that she did was on this guy, Mr. Beast. I think I might have ref- like actually referenced this article before on this podcast talking about how much I hate Taylor, but she did a whole thing of Mr. Beast homophobic past exposed and like 
it was three tweets. One of the things that Mr. Beast said was, that's gay, and then he also used the F word, fag, obviously. I think he wasn't even 18 when he said fag. So, like, that's the kind of fucking journalism that she does. Although she does more in-depth reporting now, but that's how she got a start in the industry, basically coming after influencers and cancelling them. Now she's been exposed in this video, and it is incredible. Taylor is like the Jodie Arias of journalism. Like, I'm not kidding. Like, fucking completely just jealous, petty, unscrupulous, morally bankrupt, psycho. Like, the video shows how vindictive she is, how shoddy her reporting has been, especially since going to the New York Times, where she's doing more of these kind of investigative pieces. And then you see the way that she's actually put them together. She breaks so many rules in journalism, like no ethics whatsoever. Uh, She basically chooses a target and then from there she just puts together the narrative that she wants around the person. It's not like she's just following the facts. It's like she can constructs what she wants. And from a journalistic standpoint, this is totally unethical. Um, She did things that really are just a big no-no. Like, she's 36 years old. She was speaking to underage TikTokers and influencers without their parents knowing, so their children, and was, like, manipulating them for stories and to use them as sources. And a lot of them were scared of her because there's a huge power imbalance because everyone knows her as... You know, she's at the most powerful newspaper in the country. She's known for, like, cancelling people and getting receipts on people and literally, like, ending careers and stuff. So, to have her talking to kids that are underage without their parents' permission for her stories is fucked. She's a complete liar, just like Yasha Ali. Like, maybe even worse than Yasha, actually. And... Yeah, the way that he exposes this this guy that did this 70-minute video on her, the way he exposes all of her lies, he's got receipts for them, and the way that she lies is in such a petty, psycho, vindictive way. Like, she's not normal. And I'm not even explaining it that well because there's so many layers to this, and I actually think that's why the video hasn't gone viral. It only has, like, 11,000 views, which... For her being such a big name and for this being such a great job that this guy has done in exposing her and all of the receipts he's done, you know, he has a journalistic background, so he's done it properly. It's not just like a, a tea spill drama channel cancel video. This is like he's done he's done the work. He must have spent months and months on this. But it hasn't caught on, and I think maybe it's a little bit too inside baseball about media and journalism. Like, it interests me because I work in the industry and all of this stuff. Like, I know how you can construct a story and make fake news and everything because I've been on the other side of it. But I think maybe for the average person, it's not as compelling if you don't get how that side of the industry works. Like, it is so much more salacious to expose somebody's old tweets or whatever, their transphobic Facebook post, than to do this really complex deep dive on a psychotic New York Times journalist being completely unethical in their quest for power. I still recommend that you watch it and share it because Taylor is a huge figure in media. She does wield a lot of power. And the fact that she can operate in the way that she does is insane. And she's just a horrible person besides that who needs to go. Like, the fact that people can lose their jobs now for offensive social media posts, not defending the post, but I'm just making a point. The fact that you could have, like, lose your whole job because your old tweets came out or something, but then you have a journalist like Taylor at the New York Times with no ethics using her platform to carry out petty, self-serving vendettas that are just designed to advance her own career is mind-blowing to me. I don't get how she has a job. And when you watch this video, you will see how 
the things that she does and the people that she goes after, it is all designed to build her own profile, to get a book deal, like to get on television. Like it's all about advancing her career, which makes it even more sick because it's like you're you're destroying people for your own benefit. So fucking gross. And it does remind me of just like how people who do climb to the top of these elite power structures, whether it's like the media or politics or whatever, they're usually fucking psycho. Like, it's so competitive and cutthroat to get to that level. Like, normal people aren't made of that stuff. Like, you have to have some kind of, like, screw loose to even get that high most of the time. Like, it's some kind of narcissism, megalomania, something like that. But it's not fucking normal. And every time these people that are at, like, the top of the tower get exposed it's like wow this is not a shock like even Chrissy Teigen with and I said that she shouldn't be cancelled again because I kind of just don't cancel anyone for the most part but though the messages that Chrissy had been sending like they were so severe and they were kind of sick like and so mean it's like and then you see how calculated Chrissy was with you know, advancing her career. Now I think, did she know what Yasha Ali was doing in taking out Alison Roman? I'm like, wow, like, there's a whole nother side to Chrissy Teigen that, I mean, obviously people have been talking about it since the Courtney Stodden thing, but I think there's even more there. But the point is, Chrissy Teigen, Taylor Lorenz, Yasha Ali, these people, they're fucking psychos. Anyway, while we're on the subject of people being exposed, did you all see Hunter Biden's leaked text using the N-word? I'm not going to spend too long on this because it's so fucking stupid. I just thought that this was funny and, again, not surprising at all. So, the Daily Mail busted Hunter using the N-word repeatedly in messages to his lawyer in, like, 2019. He was also bragging about having a big dick and he had a meme saved of Joe Biden wanting to call Obama the N-word. One thing that struck me, like, reading through these messages is how juvenile they are, like, Using the N-word as a joke, I would expect that from a teenage boy that's trying to be edgy, not a 50-year-old man, like, really, you're 50 and you're texting people like, oh, hey, N-word, and making black jokes. It's just childish. Um, And the response to this whole scandal has been interesting. Like, of course, the mainstream media is ignoring it. Of course, conservatives and conservative-leaning media is, like, you know, the only ones talking about it right now. And yes, I am fully aware that if the N-word text messages from, like, Don Jr. leaked, that every conservative out there would make excuses and they'd be like, who cares, you're allowed to say the N-word. I'm aware, and then I get that they only care that it's Hunter Biden, so... Don't fucking message me like, oh my God, why are you coming after Hunter Biden, but not Don Jr.? Like, they're both trash. Like, I get the hypocrisy. But I've seen people kind of like, they're either laughing this off or they're saying that, you know, this isn't relevant because it's Hunter's private messages. They've been leaked. You know, he isn't an elected official. So there's no relevancy to this. What does this have to do with Joe Biden, et cetera, et cetera? I mean, I agree and I don't care, but also you fucking losers are the ones that made Hunter Biden a celebrity. So it is fair game because you were happy to like elevate Hunter Biden and make him this big star when it was like useful for Joe Biden's image. When I don't even know why people started liking Hunter in the first place. It's kind of like the the Ukraine stuff came out and instead of just acknowledging that it was valid, 
you guys did the opposite and like bent over backwards to like elevate Hunter Biden into some fucking celebrity. Like it wasn't enough just to ignore his misdeeds. You had to like stan him. And he got this huge pass from the media. He was wheeled out on ABC and then Jimmy Kimmel show to like promote his stupid fucking autobiography, which again was just like, I mean, that was just PR, that book. I mean, ov- I mean, obviously, I'm sure most of you guys know that. If anyone bought that book thinking it's like a real book, then the joke's on you and that's a waste of money. Like, that whole book is just to make excuses for the Ukraine scandal and, of course, to, like, stop people weaponizing Hunter's past drug use against him, which is fair enough. Like, But it's like you turned him into a celebrity. It's like, oh, my God, Hunter Biden did nothing wrong. He's so hot. He's so handsome. I love Hunter Biden. He's amazing. Look at what he's overcome. He's had such a hard life. Well, now you guys can love the 50-year-old white guy who uses the N-word. That's on you. That's your man. That's your guy. You love him, remember? You love Hunter Biden. You bought the book, so... I guess it's okay to say the N-word for white people now. I would love the white liberals who made excuses for the Ukraine scandal to explain to the world, to explain to people of colour why the N-word is okay now, because that's your man. Like, you endorse him, right? I mean, you love Hunter Biden. He uses the N-word. So I guess white people can say the N-word now. You guys are fucking psychos. Seriously. Anybody who is team Hunter Biden or team Don Jr., like, you need mental help immediately. Like, I see these people arguing all the time on Twitter. Sometimes I'll click the comment section on, like, a CNN tweet or a New York Post tweet, and you guys are arguing as, like, Team Hunter or Team Don Jr. It's so fucking embarrassing. Like, one is a spoiled crackhead who benefited financially from his father's political connections. One is a spoiled cokehead who benefited from his father's political connections. Like, what's not clicking? They're the same fucking person. Like, why do you defend these people? Just please stop, please. Like, these people, we need to get rid of them. They're all horrible. And, you know, there was a teenage girl last year. She wasn't allowed to go to college because a three-second video surfaced of her using the N-word in a joking manner when she was about 15 years old. The video was sent around her school years later. She literally couldn't go to college because of it. But I guess now the rules around the N-word have changed because it's Hunter Biden, so now we don't care. And, oh, it's not it's not relevant. Hunter Biden using the N-word's not relevant, even though the Democrats and the elite media preach all of this woke language, which is like, obviously, I don't think anyone should use the N-word, but you guys preach about it and like cancel people if they use these naughty words, if they use um, the T-word, the F-word, the N-word, it's like a life ender. Well, Hunter Biden uses it. Your man uses it. He has memes about calling Obama the N-word. I mean, do you like that? Anyway, (sighs) Whatever. Look, PSA, guys. Every neoliberal that loves Hunter and Joe Biden and makes excuses for their corruption thinks it's okay to use the N-word now. So, I mean, they think that selling political access is cool. So, I guess you guys love the N-word too. I don't make the rules, so enjoy that. Okay, I want to talk a little Bachelor and Bachelorette stuff. Obviously, the big story is Chris Harrison getting sacked. I'm about to get into that in a second. But a few other tidbits. So, Tyler Cameron, who is the biggest 
thirstiest fame whore ever and I clocked it from his season when he was a fan favorite. I'm right about these people. I just clock it early on and then it turns out to be true. So I feel like everyone knows that Tyler Cameron from Hannah Brown season is just a total clout chaser now. The other day he posted a photo on Instagram with his huge bulge. He has a very big penis, which we love to see. I never found his face attractive at all. So at least he has a big dick and he posted it right around the premiere of The Bachelorette because obviously he is feeling like he needs a little attention with The Bachelorette coming back because he knows he's about to be old news. So he's thirsty. It was very cringy. You know who commented on it? Well, Andy Cohen commented on it, which... I don't know. I like Andy, but I just didn't want to see that. And Colton commented as well. Colton is the thirstiest bitch out now. I mean, him and Tyler are a mat. They should date like two fame whores. So Colton is like really getting into the gay lifestyle now. I saw him on Instagram like a week ago at a gay brunch. If you're straight, you don't know what it is. A gay brunch is like scene queen gays, kind of like very clicky, very into the gay scene. Like they go to all the clubs, they listen to, I mean, whatever, like Kylie Minogue, just the, what are the fucking gay, Ariana Grande. I mean, I listen to Ariana Grande. You know what I mean? They're just like the very generic gay people that are in the scene. Colton was at a gay brunch and I'm like, he looks really comfortable in this lifestyle. So soon for someone that was like just on ABC, whatever, what, a month ago, like crying and shaking about coming out. Now he's out at gay brunches. It's like, mm, it's almost like you were gay the whole time and you were just faking it and trying to fool people for your career. He knew he was gay. I mean, he's basically admitted it, but I am thinking now maybe it wasn't as much of a struggle as he's made out. He's just a psycho. And then I saw as well the other day he posted this thing. Um, It's him there with his grandma and she's swiping through his tinder to choose like you know a guy for him and everyone's like oh my god that's so cute i wish i had a grandma like that and i'm just like oh my god colton you're just so like desperate like you're just milking this for everything to get all these likes and followers also i've been monitoring colton's workouts because look i am obsessed with colton there's just I love him. Maybe that's why I hate him so much is because, like, I also love him. There's a thin line between love and hate. All of his exercises in the gym now are, like, working the booty. Like, he's working on his thighs. He's working on his glutes. It's all, like, booty bands, squats, weighted squats. And I'm just like, "Mm, girl, I just can't. So... Chris Harrison has been dumped from the franchise. You guys know how I feel about this. I was a Chris Harrison defender. Uh, I won't recap my whole stance on that in a nutshell. I thought he deserved a little bit of backlash. I went way too overboard. And um, I feel really bad for the guy. Well, not too bad because I know that he got a huge payout. Uh, the estimates are like maybe close to $25 million, but I just feel like for someone that built the show like he did, like he's been there from the beginning, he was such a vital part of that show, he didn't deserve to go out in disgrace. Like I'm not saying that he had to front the show forever. Of course, at some point, you know, you have to think about replacing the host. When they're getting old, you might want to get some fresh blood in, but he should have had like a big send-off with like, you know, a special farewell Chris Harrison, the funniest Chris Harrison moments. Like, you know, The Bachelor does stupid specials for every other thing. And now they've sent Chris Harrison out in absolute disgrace as like this racist that has just had his whole image tainted. And 
One reason that it's so fucked up, because I was thinking about it with that Rachel Lindsay interview, ABC really sent him out in that interview with Rachel Lindsay to do damage control because the show and the franchise was getting backlash because of Rachel Kirk Connell, obviously, when her old, you know, photos came out. And they send Chris Harrison in there, go bat for us, go stick up for the franchise. And The Bachelor, look, obviously, people can debate about his delivery. Uh, yeah, he should have listened a bit more. Um, but it's like... They wanted him out there to do a cleanup job when it didn't go the right way. Then they just threw him under the bus, like, without a second thought. I actually think they would have fired him sooner. I bet they tried. But I think that he's had some, like, high-powered lawyers in there negotiating his, uh, you know, fee to walk away quietly and cleanly. Because can you imagine all of the secrets that he knows about that show? He could bury that show. And that is the – the Bachelor franchise is the number one – reality franchise in America. No, it's not The Real Housewives. It is The Bachelor and Survivor. There is really, like, those are the top. So, he could really do a lot of damage to that franchise. Now, as far as um, a replacement for him, I don't know. And he should have been able to formally, like, anoint his replacement, you know, like, wield someone in properly. Now they've just got random people doing it. I watched the premiere of The Bachelorette. They had Caitlin Bristow and Tasia, two former Bachelorettes, hosting I hated them as the host, and everyone's going, oh my god, it's so much better having Caitlin and Tasia and having women front the show. It really wasn't. They were pretty annoying. Like, those two together with Vibrator Katie, who is the Bachelorette this season, it was too much, like, girl chatter, like, high-pitched, you know, squealing and... Ca- like, it was just too much. Like, with Chris Harrison, because he had that calm, fatherly vibe, like... It brought the energy down and made it feel a bit serious, whereas the other, they're just, like, giggly schoolgirls together. And they kept having them do these, like, bits that were supposed to be funny. They were very annoying. Um, like, when uh, Vibrator Katie was meeting her men, they would cut to Tasia and Caitlin like, watching from the window, like, eating popcorn. You know, like, it's just so annoying. I really do. I'm like, the people that are saying that they're the best hosts, please check back with me in, like, four or five episodes' time. I feel like you're going to be like, "Mm, maybe they weren't the best. Maybe they are fucking annoying. And I was just being delusional, and I just wanted to, like, own Chris Harrison. So I pretended that Tasia and and Caitlin were the best hosts ever when they're really not. Uh, For Bachelor in Paradise, they've got a bunch of comedians coming in, I just get a permanent host, please. Not this wheeling out random people all the time. Also, um, The Bachelorette debuted to very low ratings. They dropped more than a million viewers from last season. Of course, every season drops ratings because that's just like a natural decline. But this is a this a really big drop. So you know what? Go woke, go broke. Because a lot of people don't like how. Chris Harrison was treated. Again, not saying he didn't deserve a little backlash. He did, but ABC just threw him under the bus and it the, the punishment did not fit the crime. So, whatever. But you know what? Good for you, Chris Harrison. You walked away with $25 million. You are a... Look, I don't know how talented he is. He's good at doing... The Bachelor, I don't know if he can do anything else. I'm sure he can, so I'm sure he'll fall on his feet. I'm sure there is another network that would like to snap him up, perhaps. So, yeah, we'll see. Oh, and did I like The Bachelorette premiere? Uh, it was okay. I don't know. Look, Katie was pretty. Heather McDonald is on the next episode, I think, from Juicy Scoops. I'm definitely tuning in for that. I don't even know if The Bachelor and The Bachelorette is that good anymore. I just enjoy being part of Bachelor Nation. It's a fun 
show to watch. It feels like a very communal show that a lot of people watch, and I like being able to comment on it. I like um, on my Instagram stories, I like to sort of react to it and post to it. I think it's fun. And when that show is good, it's really good. Like, I loved the Claire Crawley stuff last season when she was just out of her mind uh, crazy for Dale. That was some real good TV. So I will be watching. Okay, let's get into The Real Housewives of New York and my girl Leah. I'm already exhausted because I know that this is just going to be a big ass rant, but I have to say it. You know, my girl Leah, she's probably the most hated housewife since Teddy right now. You know that I love Leah uh, and I actually just found out that we're Virgos, so I don't even believe in astrology, but I do feel a stronger connection to her now than ever before. You know, it's funny with Leah because... I get messages from, like, conservative people who think that she is a typical kind of, like, woke social justice warrior lefty, and then I get messages from, like, American liberals who think she's, you know, racist and problematic and a fake ally, so it's like people hate her from <laughs> from both sides right now, Um, and I do get why some people don't like her, like, but it's just that with this current fight that she's in with Heather Thompson on The Housewives of New York, everyone is, like, completely wrong about it. You're all wrong. You're all wrong for hating her. Leah is completely right. Um, You're just wrong on so many fucking levels. I'm just so over it. I am going to defend her. This is the last time I'm doing this, though, because now this is the third episode in a row where I feel like I've, like, come on here and I've had to, like, break down some stupid fight in, you know, excruciating detail. Like, first Garcelle and Kyle, then Luann and Ebony, now Leah and Heather. I just am almost like starting to feel like a dumbass for devoting half of my life to breaking down, you know, perceived microaggressions between rich and famous reality stars. It's so stupid. It's like the epitome of first world problems. I need to get into like more interesting topics than just countering like social justice BS on the housewives every week. And yes, I know no one's forcing me to do it. I'm doing it of my own accord. Like, what? I'm mad at myself, okay? I'm not mad at you. Um, I just can't bite my tongue with this. And now I have to get political with Leah as well because my girl was voter shamed. There's nothing I hate more than voter shaming. Um, I it took all the strength that I had not to have like a meltdown on Twitter during this episode, looking at the replies and looking what people were saying looking at what people were saying about Leah, like, it was just a lot. All right, let me just cover the latest on Luann and Ebony first, because I did have a lot of positive feedback uh, from everybody about last week's pod. I think a lot of people were just as frustrated as I was, seeing the way that, like, people left out huge chunks of what happened between uh, Ebony and Luann, because they obviously had their racist narrative that they wanted to push. So it was very frustrating. So I did have a lot of good feedback about that and people going, oh, my God, thank you. Uh And as soon as this new episode started, um, this last episode, they did the, you know, previously on The Real Housewives of New York, and the recap clips that they showed painted Luann in that negative light right off the bat. They only used clips of her that made out like Luann just randomly called Ebony an angry woman, and they left out all the other stuff that paints a whole different picture of the situation. So right off the bat, I was like, are you kidding me, guys, with... (laughs) with this fucking Luann hit job. Like, it's amazing how we're all supposed to just accept this fake version of that fight now. So the episode starts, they um, sit down to hash it all out, and Ebony gives a lecture about microaggressions and why the word angry is a trigger when used on a black woman. FYI, I totally agree with her about it. Like, I never disagreed that angry is a bad word. And I really liked how she addressed it, because I think that 
she did a really good job of explaining that stereotype. And then I think that people that may have not even known about that watching will like kind of get it and they'll go, oh, I didn't, you know, think of it that way, but now I get it. So love that. And Luann sits, listens, she takes it all in. She apologizes. She's quite gracious. You know, she's like, I had no idea that it made you feel this way. I'm so sorry. Ebony accepts the apology. Then Luann asks for an apology back because obviously they were, you know, in an argument together. No one was completely in the right during that. And Ebony refuses to apologize. And then they only play confessionals from people that are on Ebony's side. So the whole edit is skewed to make Luann look like she had, you know, been racist or a microaggression, whatever we're calling it, and that she was totally in the wrong and that Ebony was completely in the right I felt like fucking Ebony and Bravo were like gaslighting Luann here because she ends up not getting her apology from Ebony and she seems like confused. And then she's eventually forced into accepting Ebony's version of events, but Ebony's version is actually not exactly what went down. And again, I broke this down on the last episode. So if you forget what happened, just go back and listen to how I went through it. You know, Ebony was yelling and shouting first. Ebony brought up race first with the white fragility thing. Um, in her confessional, uh, she said nobody else was called angry, even though Leah had been called it. Like, there were so many things to it, and it's all been swept under the rug. They completely were gaslighting Luann, forcing Luann to accept something that didn't even happen. And the whole thing's a mess. It's just, like, one step forward, two steps back. And the fact that Ebony couldn't own her part in the fight... I didn't like, and I'm actually an Ebony fan, and I thought that didn't make her look great. Although I do think that if Luann had articulated herself better and kind of explained chronologically and factually, like, the series of events, and I think Ebony actually may have, like, realised her part and apologised too, but Luann kind of wasn't able to do that, and Luann just got confused and a bit flustered, and ugh, it just left a bad taste in my mouth, but whatever. I mean, I like them both, so moving on. Um... All right, Leah. So Leah's had it up for Heather since before Heather even arrived to the Hamptons. And for good reason, because Heather's full of shit and Leah's not about that. And Leah can clock that. Um, Leah had kind of organized this ambush to confront Heather about things that she had said about her on her podcast. So Heather arrives, they confront her. Heather cops to a few things. She downplays some other stuff. Heather's been doing tons of press interviews lately, and she's outright lying about this podcast situation. Like, she keeps saying that she didn't say anything about the women and that Leah was making it up for drama and going off of, um, you know, sensationalist headlines in the media. Not true, not true, not true. I've heard Heather's podcast. She literally said that Luann was doing drugs, hard drugs. She didn't say the word hard drugs. She said, um, then harder drugs came out or something like that. It was the implication was Luann was doing hard drugs on vacation. Leah is pissed about this because there is a rule on reality shows, especially the housewives that you only talk about what's on camera and on the show. You don't just bring up like random things that someone did. That's not part of the show. It's kind of considered like foul play playing dirty. It's not the thing to do. Candy references this a lot. Candy has said how she doesn't bring up things that don't happen on camera. And Candy is like the most together, nice housewife there is. That's why Candy didn't want to bring up certain things with that whole dungeon scandal, because in Candy's mind, it wasn't part of the storyline. So it wasn't fair game to go after. 
So Leah's whole point is, how can we feel safe filming around Heather doing this show and not know that she's going to go and use something that we did off camera that wasn't even part of the show and then use it on her podcast or to get a headline in the media? Like, that's why Leah's upset. Like, do you guys get it now? Because I feel like people were, like, confused or they just believed Heather's lies because Heather's out here lying now to change the narrative, which is annoying, but... Maybe people didn't understand about that whole kind of off-camera thing and why Leah would be upset. People keep going, Leah just invented a fight with Heather. I mean, maybe she did egg it up a little bit to have some drama for the show, sure, like everyone does. But it's valid why she's frustrated and Heather didn't cop to it, really. People think Heather coped to it. She didn't cop to it. She's a fucking liar. So back to the episode. And I like Heather by the I mean. Do I like Heather? I don't know. I have a conflicted relationship about feelings about Heather. So back to the episode, Ebony and Luann are having their racial drama and Heather's trying to educate Luann and she's spouting just a bunch of like rich liberal white guilt bullshit, acting like the queen of wokeness as Leah has referred to her on social media. Like many Americans, Heather's perspective is basically that you're right or wrong based on the color of your skin or your gender or your sexuality. That's clearly her mindset. That's how she views this disagreement between Ebony and Luann. Like I said, they were all gaslighting Luann and uh, Heather's there with Luann going, no, you just have to listen to her experience as a white woman and be quiet. It's our job just to be quiet and listen, which is true. You're supposed to listen to minority experiences for sure. But when like someone's like wrong, no. Like, you can, you're allowed to acknowledge what the truth is and what the facts of it is. Then Heather goes into Ebony's bedroom and she basically pulls this, like, I've got black friends card, so tone deaf. She starts talking about how she's been in the homes of black Americans because she used to work with Diddy and Beyonce and that black people are so beautiful, such a vibrant community. And Ebony's looking at her like, bitch, are you fucking serious with this coming in here? Like, it was so embarrassing. Like, this black woman needs you, Heather, to come in and start telling her how you're a part of black culture because you worked with Beyonce. Bitch, please. Then on top of that, Heather tells Ebony that she's articulate. I'm a white Australian and I know that that's a microaggression. I know you don't go up to a black person and say you're articulate. I still remember when uh, Biden said that to Obama. What do you say? Um... Obama, you're the first mainstream African-American who is articulate and bright and clean and a nice-looking guy. It's a very loaded compliment. And, you know, for Heather to act like surprised that, I mean, Ebony is articulate, but Heather comes in like she's surprised that Ebony was able to be so articulate in that moment. Like, girl, I just can't. And I feel like they're way more of a microaggression than what Luann did. You know, one of them is just unprovoked microaggressions here and there, like condescending white feminist, white liberal bullshit. Luann is accurately describing Ebony as angry in the middle of a fight where people are yelling at each other. Like, do you get the difference? The funniest thing is that Ebony doesn't even like Heather. So for all the people on Twitter that were like backing Heather and trying to bring Leah down, Ebony doesn't like Heather. Ebony went on Watch What Happens Live. She said Heather was white-splaining to her. Then Heather went on Instagram and she said that Ebony was painting a false narrative and, like, race-baiting and that she didn't want to listen to it. So it's like... Oh, then, by the way, I will add, Heather's come out since and she said her Instagram account was, like, hacked or the messages were wrong. Such another lie again. Heather keeps lying, Um, which is... Because I don't actually mind Heather and then I keep seeing her lie about things and it's annoying. But, you know, with... Heather, it's like when it's Luann versus Ebony, 
Heather's all like, believe black women, white women need to be quiet and not have an opinion and just take on their experience and accept it as reality no matter what they're saying. And now that Ebony has a problem with Heather, Heather's like changing. It's like, oh no, this is a false narrative and race baiting. So it's like these woke idiots, they don't even keep up with their own logic. It's why you can never buy into this stuff because they don't even believe it themselves. They just use it when it's convenient for them. So Heather is like this fake, woke, white saviour. She's the worst kind of neoliberal, and this part made me lose my mind. So they all go to the beach, and they're sitting around discussing the election, and Heather chimes in and goes, is everybody going to early vote? And Leah, who is... um. I guess her political views are quite, like, anti-establishment. I don't think she's a big fan of Democrats or Republicans. She goes, I've become so disgusted by politics because I can't stand the way each side has become. I don't even want to partake. I struggled with it in 2016. People are acting like they're in a cult. I mean, fair enough. Like, do you dis- do you guys disagree with that? Sounds like pretty fair assessment to me. And then after she says this, she, like, turns to Heather before Heather's really even said anything. And she, like, snaps at Heather and she goes, and please don't come at me with some self-righteous, you need to vote BS. And Heather's kind of, like, taken aback. And Heather's like, no, I wasn't going to do that. And then basically, of course, Heather ends up doing just that. And Leah knew she was going to do that, which is why she preemptively, like, shut her down. Um, You know, Heather's like, you've got to vote. You've got to vote. Like, she's she's doing it. She does exactly what Leah said she was doing, and then she said she wasn't going to do. Um, and these people are so easy. If you've met one of these fucking people, one of these Heather Karen types, like, you already know that you've got their MO, you know, from A to Z, what they're going to do, what they're going to say, how they're going to respond, what their opinion on this is going to be, what their opinion on that is going to be. Like, they're such a fucking walking cliche. Leah knows it. Later on in the episode, it turns out that Heather had gone to Ebony and mentioned who Leah's voting for, and she said something like she wants to have a talk with Leah about voting or something. And when Leah finds out, she just goes nuclear. She storms out of her bedroom, and she goes over to Heather, and she calls Heather a Karen, and she's like, don't talk about who I'm voting for. Like, you don't even care if I vote or not. You just want me to vote for, like, who you want to vote, which is true, and I really felt for Leah in this moment. Like I said, the amount of fucking Heathers and Karens that we have to, like, deal with from day to day who think it's their job to, like, condescendingly educate everyone around them and on who to vote for. Like, it's unbelievable. I can't believe people are walking around with such a sense of entitlement that they think it's their job to talk to anyone that they barely know about who they're voting for. And then, of course, if you're not voting for the person they want you to vote for, they'll shame you. Or if you're, you know, choosing not to vote at all, they'll shame you. There's only one answer that you can give them that pleases them, which is you're voting for who they want. And who do they want you to vote for? It's never anyone. It's obviously not Trump or a Republican. It's never anyone like far left or progressive. It's like the most centrist, right-wing fucking Democrat that you can find. Like, that's the only acceptable answer. These people are psychopaths. They're the worst people on the face of the planet. And yes, Leah snapped at Heather, but, like, Heather just ended up proving her right anyway, so I don't know why you're even mad at Leah for predicting exactly what Heather was going to do. 
So Leah also said that um, Heather was like white feminism 101 and part of the problem. Again, she was right because first we saw how Heather was like condescending to Ebony with the I've got been in black homes, you're so articulate. Then we saw how Heather turned on Ebony on Instagram. Again, Leah's right. Like Leah's right about all of it. Like just stop. Okay, so this is the next part of it. People online keep going, oh, Leah's a Karen too. She's accusing Heather of exactly what she does. What did Leah do that was Karen-ish? I didn't see Leah do anything Karen-like. Like, you can say that Leah's crazy, okay? You can say Leah's aggressive, that she's over the top. Sure, like, she had a very extreme reaction to Heather. I'll be honest, there was one scene where um, Leah lost her shit at Heather in the back of the limousine and she, like, kind of threw something at her. Like, I actually felt bad for Heather. I I don't know. I don't. Heather's not a bad person. She's annoying as fuck. And she needs to get her head out of her fucking ass and stop talking down to people. But no, she's not a bad person. Like, she means well. And the reaction that she got, I mean, I don't know. I would probably react the same as Leah. Like, I could relate to Leah a lot with this, especially at that time period. Again, it's right before the election. So, like, we were all, like, a little bit crazy. Like, I was a little crazy during the Democratic primary because I got very involved. So, like, we were all on edge. But... You can say that Leah went too far, but Leah's not a fucking Karen. Okay, so the one example people kept using to, like, get Leah, it was so dumb. So during the episode, right before Leah goes off on Heather, Ebony tries to tell Leah that it's important for her to vote because Ebony's like, well, you know, I'm a black woman and my life is on the line on this election. And then Leah kind of cuts her off and storms off to, like, lash out at Heather. And people are like, Leah's a fake ally because she didn't listen to Ebony's concerns. Like, do you honestly think that's the one conversation that they've ever had about voting? They're friends. Like, look at their Instagram. Like, they're still hanging out to this day. Like, Ebony took Leah's side in this whole fight with Heather. Like, as crazy as you guys are saying, Leah is psycho, Leah's this, Leah's that. Like, Ebony took her side. So, please stop being outraged on behalf of Ebony. Ebony's not upset with Leah. You're being outraged on behalf of Ebony. Ebony likes Leah, so shut up. And they're both into they're both into politics. They're both into social justice. They've had their own podcasts on those subjects. I think Ebony still has hers. I was going through Leah's old podcast. Leah had, like, social justice activists and Black Lives Matter type people and stuff on there all the time. Like, they have shared interests. I'm sure they discuss voting and who they're voting for and political candidates all the time. So please stop being upset on behalf of Ebony, who's not even upset with Leah. Like, you're just so fucking annoying. Oh, and some people pointed out how Leah didn't go off on Ebony for talking about her voting, but, like, she, you know, lost it at Heather, and they're like, well, this proves that Leah's being fake and she's just making drama for the cameras. Please stop again. Ebony is her friend. Like, they discuss these subjects in, like, a respect... Like, Ebony discusses these things with her in, like, a respectful manner. Heather's a fucking stranger that she barely knows from a bar of soap who is condescending and wants to lecture her about who she should vote for. Like, there is a huge difference. Like, me discussing politics with my friends is different to a random acquaint, like a fucking annoying person like Heather coming up and getting on their high horse and telling me who to vote for. So again, those two things are not the same. I totally felt Leah's rage. I have dealt with these people so much. I saw them so much online and experienced them during, you know, the recent years because tensions have been so high. Again, they don't care who you vote for. They just want you to vote for 
who they want to vote, you know, make sure you vote. It's like, okay, sure, I'm going to vote um, the Green Party because, you know, I really care about the environment and I think their policies are the best on that front. And I just hope that my vote can contribute to giving the Green Party more of a platform and more of a voice in the political system. Oh, no, you can't vote Green or Republican or Libertarian. When I say please vote, I mean for the most centrist right-wing Democrat on the ticket and that's it. And if you don't vote for them, you're getting shamed and you hate black people and you're just an awful person. Like, that's what they fucking do. That's a strategy, by the way, because back in the day, they used to say vote for X. Like, they would say who it was and then they did, like, research on that and they found out, like, surprise, surprise, people don't like being told who to vote for. <laughs> can you Im- can you imagine that people don't like being told who to vote for? What a shock. Oh, I never would have known. So now the way they go about it is make sure you vote, but really what they're saying is make sure you vote for my person, which is this fucking loser. And since Leah joined the show, like, these fucking neoliberal Karens and dumb fags that get all of their politics from The View have just been giving her shit, like, for a year straight for not supporting Trump or Clinton in 2016. Let me say something. Okay, well, I'm already saying something. Let me say something some more. I don't have anything against how people voted in the last election, wherever your vote fell. Like, I totally understand why people felt they needed to vote blue no matter who and go for Joe. And if you, one of the people that legitimately like love, <laughs> love Joe Biden, good for you. Like, that's fine too. I'm happy for you. I'm glad that you had a candidate that you believed into and you're excited to go out and vote for. That's amazing. But do you honestly think there's nothing to criticize about the way you vote? Like, if Leah wanted to pull up the receipts on whoever Heather votes for, we would be here all day. Do you think that you're infallible, you're immune to criticism? Like, we can pull up so much stuff about the person that you voted for, like, things that are, like, racist, that are anti-progressive. Like, there's so many things that damage the environment and throw it back in your fucking face. These vote-shaming liberals, they are just a bunch of condescending centrist assholes. They think they're the sensible, smart ones in the room. Everyone to their left or everyone to their right is an uneducated dumbass who needs to be better informed to make the right choice. Like, go fuck yourself. Like, during the Democratic primary, I was a fan of, like, a few different candidates. I actually naively got excited. I was like, oh my god. It's going to be a change. Look at all these exciting candidates. I mean, of course, we saw how it ended up, but I was excited for a while. Like, mostly I was into Bernie. I liked Mike Ravel at the start. I was really into him. Uh, Marianne Williamson I liked. You know, Tulsi I liked. I liked Andrew Yang at first, and then when he didn't support Medicare for all, I was like, bye, bitch. Um, Same with Tulsi. I got over her. She ended up disappointing me, but I ended up kind of like settling on Bernie. I got really excited about him. And then when the DNC came together to screw him over, I was so pissed off with the whole party. And I promised myself that I would never let myself get bamboozled into liking a Democrat ever again. And like the Republican Party goes without saying, obviously, I hate them both. And yes, the DNC did conspire to sabotage Bernie. No, it's not a conspiracy theory. There's plenty of receipts and all the mainstream fucking rags that you guys like to cite all the time. So please do not even try it. That's well documented. Like just say that you support the DNC's right to rig their own primary and that you believe the party elites should make all the decisions over everyday Americans. Like at least you're being honest. So I'm like, well, it's not my viewpoint, but if that's how you feel, it's fine. But like, don't 
lie to me and then tell me that they didn't do what they did. Don't tell me that the DNC doesn't purposely bolster centrist candidates and work against progressive fringe members, like, which they do. They get to, they fucking sabotage the progressives in their own party every fucking chance they get, which is why they're so disgusting. But my point is, I was so mad at them for ringing it again after, like, 2016. I'm like, oh, my God, you know, not again. Then I was pissed at Bernie because I'm like, bitch, why didn't you stand up again? Like, I kind of understood why because he felt... Uh, let's not even get into that. We're going to be going like too far into election shit. But as it got closer to the presidential election, as mad as I was, I understood more as I got close. I'm like, okay, you know what? If I was American, maybe, I don't know, maybe I could vote for Joe Biden. I don't like, because I felt like things were getting really, you know, were just getting consistently worse. And it was, and also the, and I'm just like, this needs to stop. So I get it. Like, I understood how someone could vote for Biden. And I'm not shaming anyone who voted for Biden or for Trump. Like, good for you. Like, you're allowed to vote for whoever the fuck you want. Like, just keep your vote to yourself like the old fucking days when we didn't talk about it. And Or if we talk, it's fine to talk about it. Just don't be, like, pushing your shit on other people. Like, trust me, I understand the logic of, like, well, this is the way things are and it's the lesser of two evils, so just grow up and vote for the less bad guy because there's no other option. Like, we have to do it. So you're either voting for the guy that's not as bad or... Or you're voting for the, you know, the devil. Like, I get it. I understand why people follow that logic. But, like, to use a cliche, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. So, when you agree to vote for a party, no matter what, they can do anything to you, you're going to give them your vote. Like, you relinquish all the power that you have. Your vote is literally, or you have nothing else but your vote. When you agree to vote for a party, no matter what, you relinquish all your power. Like, so, they don't have to do anything for you. So, If your party chooses to ignore policies that the majority of Americans support, like healthcare and the $15 minimum wage, yes, the majority of people do support those. If your party is ignoring those and those issues are important to you, like, you don't have to vote for them because they should be doing something for you, right? Also, if enough people vote for a third party and make it viable, which I know in America is next to impossible, probably not going to happen, snowball's chance in hell, but if enough people snap out of it and put their vote to a third party, then you can change things, you can influence things. What I'm saying, I'm not saying my way, like, yes, that's obviously where I would fall and what I agree with personally, but... I'm just trying to say that if you didn't agree with that and you felt like I'm doing the lesser of two evils thing, you know, we've been doing it for 100 years, however long, let's just keep doing it and maybe things will if that's your view of things, that's fine. Do it. But like don't vote people don't shame people that aren't doing that because they have their own reasons that they may not want to vote or they may want to vote third party or you know they are withholding their vote for some reason to like make a point and yes of course if just a few people do that it doesn't make a difference but you know what maybe you guys are the ones that why is it always the progressive person that has to change why is it always the lefty that has to suck it up and go okay I'm going to vote blue no matter who why the fuck can't the centrist move over to the left that never happens happens though. It's always the left has to go into the middle to the mainstream Democratic Party. It's never the other fucking way around. You guys are the worst.
Like, not everyone wants to choose between hurtling to their death at 1,000 miles an hour and hurtling to their death at 500 miles an hour. Some people would like to figure out an alternative to the duopoly. Like, is that okay? Like, is someone else allowed to have another opinion on how they want to vote? You don't own anyone else's vote, including Liam McSweeney's, and don't act like you're being a good citizen who cares about democracy. You don't give a shit. Again, you just want them to vote how you want. You don't possess some special knowledge that I don't have or that Leah doesn't have or that anyone else doesn't have. Like, you're not Stephen Hawking. You are a random pleb like me. Like, if Stephen Hawking wheeled himself out of the grave and wanted to talk to me about voting, maybe I would listen because it's Stephen Hawking. If Aristotle came down from the heavens and said, you know what, I'm going to talk to you about who I think you should vote for, I'll be like, okay, it's Aristotle. Like, I'll listen to Aristotle. I'm not listening to you. You're a nobody that needs to get a fucking hobby instead of worrying about who other people are voting voting for. People you barely know. You're not my friend. You're just some fucking random. Heather's not Leah's friend. Go away, Heather. I've dealt with these American Karens before, even here in Australia. So I can just imagine how being fucking Leah in New York, surrounded about it constantly. I'm not surprised she blew her fucking mind at Heather's bullshit. And all these fucking people do as well, which makes them so scummy, is they weaponize identity politics all the time to control your vote. That's what all this shit is about. All the ID poll stuff is just to control your speech and to control people. So they trick the average person into thinking that they're being progressive by pushing all of this woke bullshit. And then it's just used to like, it's just weaponized to like shut down any dissenting opinions like oh, okay, so I can't criticise this politician's refusal to fight for the minimum wage because they're black and now I'm a racist. Okay, great, you've shut me up now. Oh, there's racist on YouTube? Let's delete a bunch of their accounts. And while we're at it, let's, like, purge the fringe left-wing accounts too. Like, like I've had this happen to me before from these awful people. Like, so I was talking to this, like, rah-rah neoliberal super centrist friend of mine, and, like, I think I had said something, I don't remember what I said verbatim, but I think I said something along the lines of, um, you know, it's a shame that at the height of the Black Lives Matter movement that Joe Biden and Kamala were elected, like, given their history on, like, race issues and immigration and stuff, like, you know, you'd think that the Democrats could have come up with a better pick than them, given their history, look into their history if you don't know it, like, okay? And before you freak out yes plenty of republicans are worse on many of the same issues yes there's racist republic like i know okay calm down i know in today's climate you can't criticize any politician without adding like 40 trillion qualifiers so there you go i just felt like given the racial justice moment that they could have found some better candidates that's just my opinion that's how i feel i feel like they could have done better if you disagree if you think that joe was like the most inc- <laughs> if you think joe biden was the best person on race issues that's good for you i'll throw you a fucking party i'll give you a medal that's fine but i said this to this friend of mine and she goes oh I think it's interesting that you're singling out the one woman of colour who went to a HBCU as the problem when there are white Republicans doing, you know, X, Y, Z. And I'm like, okay, first of all, no one's excusing Republicans. Secondly, not singling out Kamala, literally referring to Joe Biden and Kamala. So very odd that they would just zoom in on the Kamala thing. But again, they were trying to do that to to make a point. Um, and I was really referring to Biden more so because he has done far more damage than Kamala. And, you know, I said to this person, I'm like, you know, you've purposely twisted my words now to make it like it's a racist attack on a black woman and completely change what my entire point of that was. 
And she's like, you know, I just don't think that it's up to you as a white person to tell black people who they should support and, you know, to promote this Kamala is a cop narrative. And I'm like, first of all, the black community didn't support Kamala in the primary. She tanked with black voters in the the whole run. Her whole run in the primary was a fucking disaster. If you love, it's fine. By the way, I'm not shitting on people if they like Kamala. Good for you. I'm just saying that's what it is. If you're upset that I'm saying that, please just go on Google. Like, there are articles from liberal media, mainstream media, about how much of a fucking disaster her primary was, how she flopped with black voters big time. Black voters supported Joe Biden. They didn't support Kamala Harris. Like, this is known. No one supported her. The run was a fucking disaster. Tulsi Gabbard, again, a fringe candidate who was basically hated by the mainstream media, hated by the DNC, she finished her presidential campaign with more delegates than Kamala which says it all. That shows you how fucking popular Kamala Harris was. And then Biden actually wanted Amy Klobuchar as his VP pick originally. That was what all the buzz was in all of like the, the political media and everything that was that he's leaning towards Amy. He wants Amy Klobuchar. Then George Floyd was murdered. Klobuchar was implicated in that because she had like failed to prosecute one of the cops that killed George Floyd, something like that, or her office failed to prosecute them. And then the Black Lives Matter movement was in high gear. Biden eventually went with Kamala. Kamala as a diversity pick. That's how, that's who people supported. They, (laughs) like, it wasn't like black voters came out in droves to support Kamala Harris. That isn't true. But what I'm trying to say is, like, my friend in quotes, the way she tried to weaponize it, that's what they do. Like, if you have a different political opinion, if you criticize their thing, they'll just weaponize identity politics to try and make you look like a fucking idiot. And then if you don't know your stuff, like, they can catch you out. You know what I mean? Like, if you don't know what you're talking about. And you can't clap back. Like, luckily, I could in that instance. But that's what they do because they're just vile, disgusting people. And, you know, my friend Cho, right, that I'm having on to discuss Trisha Paytas, he's a gay black man and he voted green in 2016. And I think he voted libertarian in the recent election because he didn't want to support Biden or Trump. So please, white liberals, go yell at him. I would love to watch you white American liberals yell at my gay black friend, and go shame him for supporting, like, Jill Stein. Please go do it. Please treat him like you're treating Leah. I would love to watch that. I'll get my popcorn out, and I will watch him annihilate you, because I'm pretty sure he probably knows more about politics than you do. Okay, I could go on and on. This is, I feel like this is like a whole podcast episode of me screaming about Leah. It's too much. At the end of the day, Vote for whoever you want. Stop telling strangers what to do with their vote. It's not that complicated. Just keep the political talk to your friends and family. You're a psycho. Leah was completely right about everything she said about Heather. Please leave me a message and tell me what Leah said that was, like, factually incorrect or that what Heather said that was right because all I've seen is Heather lies, 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 lies. The one thing I found that Leah has done wrong is... Very aggressive in her overreaction, maybe. She's being full on, but nothing she actually said was incorrect. Everything she said was right. Vote shamers, scumbags, if you are one of them, please wake the fuck up and mind your own business. Okay, that's it. All right, that is a wrap after a very uh, exhausting episode. Usually I would say, that's it for this week, guys, but it's not it because you have another episode. You've got the Frenemies episode with Cho, so that should be in your feed. So go over and listen to that. 
Remember the usual, follow me on social media at unpopularjp on Twitter and Instagram. You can support the show at buymeacoffee.com slash unpopularjp. Uh, I am still working on the Patreon. I know that last episode I kind of talked to you guys about if I should do Supercast, if I should do Patreon. I think Supercast is better, but the fact is that I, you know, did some market research on my Instagram and you know what? People want to use Patreon. They don't care if Supercast is better. They understand Patreon. You guys know it. A lot of you said, look, it'll be easy for us to just put you in our Patreon feed. I don't want to learn something else. So, you know what? I've heard the message loud and clear. So, I'm working on the Patreon. But yeah, before then, you can support on Buy Me a Coffee. Follow me on social media. Again, leave me a five-star review if you can, if you haven't already. I know so many of you have been amazing with the reviews, so I kind of feel a bit guilty asking at this point because I feel like so many of you actually have gone out of your way. Um, If you haven't, maybe do it this week because now, because I talked about politics, I'm actually a little bit (laughs) – now I'm scared I'm going to get backlash because of my little political rant. Although one thing I've learned since doing this podcast is that Every time I think that I'm going to get backlash for something, like literally no one cares, and then I get attacked for something that I never would have even noticed, like something really minor that people point out. So let's just see how that pans out. But yeah, go listen to the uh, the Trisha and uh, Trisha Frenemies episode with uh, my friend That Show, and I will see you next week. I have an interview dropping next week, which I actually recorded it this morning, but I just I had too much content. I had to push it back. I interviewed Erica Rose from Below Deck Sailing Yacht. She is an original Bachelor villain. She has been on VH1. We talked about a lot of interesting things and just fun stuff as well. I really liked her. I think she, um, from talking to her, I think there's like, she has a smart side that you don't, that doesn't play out fully on TV. Like she's a lawyer and everything. And from talking to her, I'm like, oh, I kind of get it. Like by the time we got to the end of the conversation and- I, I I don't know. I really liked her. I mean, I say that about every guest because every guest that I have on is really nice and I end up really liking them, but I just think it was a fun interview. So, you've got Erica Rose um, next week and she kind of talks a little bit about her journey and she's someone that started on reality TV in 2006. Here we are 2021 and she's still getting booked on shows. So, she's kind of had a, um, a she's had quite a prestigious career as far as a reality star goes. And I did point out in the interview, I, I said to her that if she had gotten famous now, she would have really had like a huge social media following. She would have had all of these like gifs and memes about her because she's so fucking funny. If you've ever watched any of her show, if you watch Below Deck Sailing Yacht, which is amazing, by the way, it's just that's an epic season. You'll know that this woman is just like TV gold. So yeah, we talked a lot about that. So that is next week. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye.